Before, uh, before I start the message, I wanted to show you guys something. And some of you may have seen this before. It's from America's Funniest Home Videos. Um, I think this is how all baptisms should take place. I think this is how they should all work. So go ahead. And... I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. dared him to do it, is what he said. So, I, uh, I love the expression on the boy's face and the, the expression on the preacher's face. That is a day he will never forget. And I think that's the point of baptism. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a day you would never forget. Not just something that we submit to. Not just something because our family told us sooner or later we had to do this or our preacher kept hounding us about getting baptized. It's not one of those things, but it ought to be one of the most important days in our lives, one of the dearest memories. And I guess it wouldn't be so bad if we celebrated that memory with a cannonball every now and then. I'm not encouraging anyone to do that, but if it happens, it happens. When we started this study on Romans, I mentioned to you that this is the book that Martin Luther had been studying when, when the, the Reformation began. We saw the development of the Protestant churches. This was a, a, not only the book that Martin Luther had been studying, but this is also the book that has preceded every major revival in history. Every time there's been a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, every time God has done something new in the lives of His people, the book of Romans has been there. And to mention Martin Luther, there's something else you need to know about that man Martin Luther was a man who was deeply troubled by depression. He was a guy who, who went through a, a lot of struggles with, with depression and, and self-doubt. And you think about it, here was a man who was stepping out on his own. He, he, he starts this new movement. He, he protests the, the uh, established church and, and starts a new movement. He has people depending on him, not just for his leadership, but for his scholarship, for his uh, for his theology. He's writing new books and, and telling people to do things differently than they've ever done them before. And, and he was very deeply troubled with self-doubt. He was afraid of failure. He had trouble sleeping. You ever been there? You ever have trouble sleeping? 
And he was very, very troubled with temptation. Temptation to give up, temptation to go back to the way he had done it before, and, and other temptations. And it's said of Martin Luther that when he had those most troubling times, he would clear his desk off, and he would take a piece of chalk, and he would write his confessions across his desk. And one thing that he wrote over and over again in chalk across his desk, he wrote in Latin the words, baptizo sum, which is Latin for I have been baptized. And it was his way of reminding himself that he had made a promise to God. And not only that, but God had made a promise to him as he understood it through baptism. That promise had been sealed. Romans chapter 6 has a lot to say on the topic of baptism. I have heard a lot of sermons from Romans chapter 6, most of them directed towards people who have not been baptized. And this passage is used to remind people of their great need for salvation and of the, the peace and the assurance that baptism brings them when they submit to that. People go constantly to, to verse 4, the, the promise of newness of life. And I've heard preachers stand up and say, do you want a new life? Do you want that newness of life? And people respond and they come forward because that's what they want. But as I read chapter 6, I realize this chapter was written to people who were already baptized. In fact, this entire letter was written to people who were already baptized, people who had already submitted to that. And I don't think it's just intended to speak to those who haven't made that commitment, who haven't taken that step. Romans 6 is designed for those of us who have been baptized, but who at the same time, from time to time, realize that, that we're in a struggle between who we are supposed to be and who we really are. The times that we screw up, the times that we feel like failures, the times that we're very, very tempted to, to just give up. And like Martin Luther with his chalk, Romans 6 stands as a reminder, you have been baptized. A commitment has been made by you, but a commitment has also been made to you, and that changes everything. We're going to look at just the first five verses today. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it is on page 942. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I have been baptized. There is a completion in that statement. It is a completed fact. You can't be sort of baptized. You can't be halfway baptized. Well, I, I got in the water and then I changed my mind or the preacher forgot to dunk me. It, it doesn't work that way. You've either been baptized or you haven't been 
baptized. And we can debate the purpose of baptism until we're blue in the face, and trust me, we will. But I want to look at what Paul says, because there is a certainty that comes with baptism for the baptized. There is a certainty. There is a confidence that comes with baptism. And whether you've taken that step or not, whether you've given yourself to him in baptism or not, I want you to know exactly what this act of faith does for you and why I believe you need this act of faith. I have been baptized. That declaration is a reminder of a change in our lives. And it's there to show us that there is a finality to our old way of life. And I want you to notice how Paul presents this. I want you to notice how he presents this chapter. He presents it as an argument with himself. It's a literary device that Paul's using here. He's having an argument with himself. He asks himself a question, and then he turns around and he answers that. And that's a perfectly acceptable literary device. If you're writing a letter or a book or preaching, it's, it's a perfectly fine thing to do. If you do it while you're sitting on the bus or up at the post office, they will lock you up. Do not have an argument with yourself in public. You can do that anywhere else. And so he asks the question in verse 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? That's the question. In other words, remember what we learned last week in Romans chapter 5, if God gives grace to sinners so that we can have peace with him, and if, if you've sinned more and so God has given you more grace, then maybe if we really want peace with God, if we really want to know the presence of God, maybe what we need to do is sin a lot more. Maybe if we went out and just sinned a whole bunch, we would get all the more grace. And we would get a lot closer to God, right? <laughs> no, the answer is a very clear no. In fact, it's, it's practically a quadruple negative. You can't do this in the English language, what Paul does. It is, it is the most extreme no you can get in, in the Greek language. It's no, not never, no way, no how. Some translations say by no means like ours. Other translations say no, no. One translation says, certainly not. And there's one translation of the Bible that takes this and it says, what a ghastly thought. You know, and I, I love that. As it is, it's a ghastly thought that you would go on sinning so that you might have more grace. Paul goes on, he says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Did you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? baptized into his death. That's final. The old way of life is over and done. Baptism marks a separation between who I used to be and who I am going to be from this time forward. It is a moment of decision. You are no longer the person you were. This is no longer what you, were, what you are going to be about. Your life is going to change. So now let's, let's get honest be honest. Does that mean we're not going to sin anymore? No. It doesn't mean we're not going to, to sin anymore. What it means is explained in some of the following verses. In, in verse 14, Paul says, for sin, will no, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer calling the shots in your life. 
You are no longer living for sin. Sin is no longer calling the shots for your eternity either. And then he goes on a few verses later in verse 23. 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty for sin is death. You have been baptized with Christ. And when you have been baptized with Christ, you have been baptized into his death. Therefore, the penalty for your sin has been paid. And therefore, you are no longer judged by God for your sin because the penalty has been paid. It was paid in full. So the old life is over. So where do we go from here? And what baptism shows us is that this new life of ours, new life, depends on Jesus. I, uh, I have officiated at a lot of funerals. More funerals than I care to remember, especially this year. Too many funerals this year. Uh, on top of that, I have had the privilege of standing next to many deathbeds and being there when someone took that last breath. And, and believe me, it is a privilege to be there in that moment. I have watched men and women take their last breath. I have watched as nurses came in to check for heartbeat and, and pronounce them dead. As an observer, I have to say, death seems like a very easy thing for those who have gone through it. In fact, it comes after a point when life has gotten too hard, when it's too hard to continue breathing, when it's too hard to continue with their heart beating, and they just simply stop, and death comes. I've been by a lot of deathbeds. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of people who have passed from this world. I have yet to see a single one of them get back up and walk out of the room. That has never happened yet. And you know why? Because you can't. You can't do that on your own. Death is a part of life. Death is a process. It is natural. We are all built to die. What we can't do is bring ourselves back to life. That's the hard part. That's what we can't do. That requires something more. And when we've heard stories of someone who has died, and then all of a sudden they, they find a heartbeat, there's a pulse again, and all of a sudden the person gets well and they come back. What do we call that? It's a miracle, isn't it? We call it a miracle because we realize something bigger than that person has happened, something bigger than us has happened, something they could not have done on their own. Verses 3 and 4 say, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 3, we were baptized into his death. That's the easy part. Verse 4, we were raised so that we might walk in newness of life. That's the hard part. That's the part that you cannot do yourself that you cannot do on your own. You cannot live this new life, this Christian life on your own power. 
And in fact, when you try, people notice. (laughs) It has to require something more than you. Paul equates that raising again of the Christian life, he equates that with walking in newness of life. And it's a reminder to us Christians that you can't do it yourself. You can't be good enough that God is going to raise you to new life. You, you can't be strong enough that, that you're going to defeat death, even spiritual death. You can't be holy enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't do enough good things that you are going to have new life on your own. You know why? Because you are dead. Because you have died in Christ. You can't do it yourself. This new life you're living requires a miracle that only God, only the author of life, can perform. If you go back one book to to the book of Acts, you go to chapter 2, you have in in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he has convicted those who are listening to him of, of the importance of Christ and what God was doing through the life of Jesus. And he says, this Jesus who who God made Christ, God has made him, this Jesus who you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And in verse 37, it says, now when they heard this, when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They became convicted of their sin, convicted of what God had done through Jesus for them and their need for Christ. They say, what shall we do? In Acts 2.38, Peter's response, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't miss the promise there. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why do you receive the Holy Spirit? for a lot of things, but, but one thing that you can't miss today, I hope you're getting this from, Acts chapter, or from uh, Romans chapter 6, one of the reasons you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is because you are dead. You have died. Your old life is over. And anything that you do from here on out, you will do because of the Spirit of God moving in you, because of the Spirit of God directing you, comforting you, counseling you, rebuking you at times you, encouraging you, and empowering you. And I think the most important promise we gain from baptism is the realization that even in those darkest moments, when we feel very lost, when we feel very far away from God, in those darkest moments in our lives, baptism reminds us that there is hope for eternal life. You know, the importance of baptism does not lie in the water. It's not about the water that we use. It's tap water, I'll warn you right now. I had, a, I had an old preacher tell me one time, okay, let me back up. He wasn't a preacher. He thought he was a preacher. Um, I had a guy tell me one time that you have to baptize in moving water. You have to move, baptize someone in water that that is moving, like in a river, because if you don't, then the previous sins of the person who was baptized in that water before you, 
those will get on you. Now, the problem with that was I remembered that when I was baptized, I was baptized in the same water that my sister was baptized in about a year later. And how horrible it must be for her to have picked up all my 16-year-old sins at that moment. I, I can't imagine. She's not here to defend herself, but trust me, she did some pretty horrible things if she picked up all of those sins. It's not about the water. The importance of baptism doesn't even lie in the faith of the person who's baptizing you because trust me, that person who's baptizing you, I don't care who it is, they're a sinner too. They've screwed up also. And the importance of baptism definitely doesn't lie in you. Do you know why? Because you are dead. Thank you very much. You've, you've noticed that theme, right? Because you are dead. It centers on Jesus. The importance of baptism lies completely, 100% on Jesus, on who he is, on what he has done. It centers on the fact that he conquered death and that he lives forever. If you jump ahead one book from the book of Romans, you go to 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 3 and 4, Paul tells his audience there, For I delivered to you as of first importance. There is nothing else more important than this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is of first importance. It is primary. It is key. If this isn't true, then nothing else we do Nothing else we say, nothing else we are, nothing else we sing about, nothing else we build matters. Nothing else matters if this is not true. He goes on in verse 19, and he tells us that if Christ has not been raised, if Jesus is still dead, if Jesus is still in an unmarked grave somewhere over there just outside of Jerusalem, he says that you and I above all people are to be the most pitied because we've wasted our lives. And then he goes on in verse 20, and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. If you have first fruits, that means that there's going to be more fruit later. There's going to be more things to pick later. Since Jesus has been raised from the dead, you can know that in Christ, you will be raised from the dead. This, this is one of those points where I feel like I, I really understand what Martin Luther was going through. I really understand what he was saying. There are some days when I don't feel saved. You ever have those days? Is it just me? Do you ever not feel saved, anyone? Really? Yeah, you're nodding. You're okay. There's days when I don't feel saved. There's days when I don't feel like being a Christian today. There's, there's days when, when I'm very aware of my failure. And days when I'm very aware of my sin. And you know, you can get up and you can say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And you can put that smile on. And I just want to smack it off your face. And you can say, you ask me how I know he lives because he lives within my heart. 
And there's a lot of other things that live inside my heart some days. Some of them are dark. Some of them are angry. and Some of them are very, very evil. And there are hurts that get, come back to life in my heart from time to time. Times when I've been hurt. Times when I've been in pain. And times when I've had troubles. And in those days when I don't feel saved, there is one undeniable reality I can always trust in. I can look back on the calendar and I can look at a date when everything changed and I know for a fact it changed. I look at that date when I made a promise to God and I sealed that promise in baptism. And more importantly, I realized that on that day, according to the Bible, according to the Word of God, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, not only did God forgive me of my sins that day, but He promised me, He gave me the Holy Spirit. So that it doesn't matter what I feel like on any given day. The Holy Spirit is with me. And when I falter, and when I sin, when I have a, a very bad day, he never changes. He doesn't give up on me. And as shaky as everything else in life may be, the truth of that day never changes. I think these are three very important truths that everyone needs in their lives because there are days when those old sins will raise their ugly heads because those old sins they become habits and some of those habits they don't die so easy and there's days when those old sins raise their ugly heads and we find ourselves on a very wrong path there are days when we are very aware that we are powerless when we are not only dead and powerless but we are powerless to change our lives. We are powerless to do anything better in our lives. And there are times in our lives when hope is all but gone. And on those days, it doesn't matter what kind of smile you put on your face. It doesn't matter what you tell yourself. What do we do on those days? And on those days, I think it's important to have a moment in your life where you drew a line in the sand and you said, this is the day. This is a red letter day. This is the day when everything changed. I have been baptized. I gave my life to God and He changed everything. I want you to have that kind of moment in your life. We, we can talk about baptism in a lot of different terms. We can talk about baptism for a lot of different things. But I want you to have that kind of moment in your life. I don't know how many times I've said this. Some of you, some of you always remind me. But I've, I've always said everybody gets one bad day. Sooner or later, there will be one day when everything else that you've trusted in falls apart. If it's your health, if it's other people, if it's your finances, if it's, if it's your church. Everything else can fall apart. What will you have on that one bad 
today. I want you to have that kind of moment in your life. So when that day comes, when you doubt everything else, when faith seems so far away, one decisive moment comes back. When you promised him your life, and when he promised you everything. Since before I started Romans, from the moment that I decided I was going to preach Romans, I knew I'd have to deal with Romans 6 sooner or later. And I knew there were a lot of people who were wondering about baptism here in this church and asking a lot of questions. And I know there's a lot of us who who have a lot of concerns for, for each other, and we have a lot of concern for our friends who haven't taken this step. And we can get a little pushy sometimes. Let me be honest with you. When I was a kid going to this church, some of you got really pushy about this. And I didn't like it. And every time you pushed, I pushed back the other way. I wish I had. Charles Kirshner took me out to to the back room of his house and showed me scripture after scripture. He drew pictures. I remember him drawing pictures telling me why I needed to do this. Out at Donna's. I remember Dina one day sitting down with me and saying, how about you get baptized this Sunday, Brett? No. No. If you've not taken that step, people here, there are people here who love you and care about you. I've preached for 25 years, over 25 years now. After every sermon, I ask for a response. More often than not, we just sit there and we sing a song. Or we stand there and we sing a song and nobody moves. And that's fine. That's okay. I'm going to keep asking for responses because the Word of God demands a response. Because when you have been confronted with the eternal Word, you've got to do something with it. You can't just ignore it. So I'm going to keep asking for a response. And it would be very easy to stand here today and say, if you haven't been baptized yet, I want you to come forward. And if you didn't come forward because you were scared or because you were holding on to that pew or you just couldn't get your legs to work, that happened to me a lot. I'd get to that point and I couldn't get my legs to work. That's okay. I want to show you something. I'm going to need your help. There are people in this church who love you. There are people in this church who day after day, night after night, are praying for people to come to Christ. There's somebody on your heart, there's somebody on your mind, who every day, every night, you pray and you worry about that person and you struggle with how to speak to them, what to say to them, how to convince them, how to help them, but they are on your hearts and you're praying for them to be baptized. That kind of prayer needs to be honored. I've asked some people to come forward, and if if those people who will come forward will start making their way this way, some of my leaders, and, and, uh, oh, you got to have Susie pray with you. She's awesome. Rick will help Susie, too. But I've got a few people I've asked to come pray, and we're going to sing a verse of this song. We're going to stand together here in just a moment and sing, if there is somebody on your heart that you have been praying for to be baptized, I want you to come up and we're going to pray with you. We'll form a little circle and we'll pray together for that person. Okay? That's all we're going to do right now. We're going to pray for somebody who you love, somebody that you're caring about, who needs to be baptized.